Welcome to the STL Soccer Report. Brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's the STL Soccer Report, and it's sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a long time. I am keeping busy with the USL show and watching a ton of games, and, and uh, it's just hard keeping up with just that. I've uh, been going out of town a little bit, um, went to Vegas to watch the first few uh, games, the first round basically almost of uh, the World Cup and had a really good time doing that. Uh, it was a great experience. Caught a Las Vegas Lights game and had a really good time doing that as well. Um, really great environment there and a very, very, very strong Latino culture, Mexican especially. And so, um, yeah, I got to sit and talk to some people about that, caught up with uh, Carson Merck and Thomas from uh, uh, the Las Vegas podcast and uh, about betting. I forgot what it's called right now, which is, which is terrible. Uh, but yeah, I had a good time with those guys. Wish I had spent more time with them, but I was really tired from getting up at like 3 and 5 in the morning on, in uh, Pacific time to watch these early games and then staying up too late. And, and, um, I was a little bit out of it for that whole game. And, and, uh, I hope I get to go back and talk to them more because, uh, they're awesome people and they're doing a good job with what they do. Um, so anyway, I had a good time at the Vegas thing. Uh, it is all show. They do a lot of good stuff, but it's not as kitschy as, as you would think when you're there. I sincerely love having, there's a DJ playing at all times, before, after, during the game. There's a DJ playing constantly, and I really like that. It feels like a party. There's tons of fun games set up and, and food trucks. And it's not a lot different than St. Louis FC, but there is just that little bit of, of extra going on um, that makes it a lot of fun. And uh, again, the Latino vibe, that's, that's something that I hope that... Um, all the USL cities can explore more is bringing in, you know, other immigrant communities uh, into the game and their culture and taking advantage of it. St. Louis has a small Latino community, so that's not as big a deal, perhaps. But, you know, if we did, perhaps if we moved to the city or um, if we were able to get people out of the city, um, if we were anywhere near South City where the Latinos and the Bosnians are, if they had their own supporter groups like the lights had their English speaking supporter group and their Spanish speaking supporter group. They had their own styles each and they cooperated. Um, it was a cool thing. And, and I, I, I'd like to see that in more cities than, than just Vegas. Um, I'm sure there's a couple more in, in the USL that do that sort of thing, but I would like to see it more. Uh, couldn't hurt, right? Uh, it just made for a really cool game day and there's nothing wrong with that. So wanted to at least tell you a little bit about that experience. Um, and I'm going to get this podcast, if you're listening to it, um, it's a little bit late. I did this several days ago, but um, our BGN leader, fearless leader, Mike Sparks, has been out of town taking a break from life a little bit this week, and I hope he enjoyed that, but he'll be posting that as soon as he's back in town. He'll probably get hit with a million podcasts ready to go as soon as he gets back, so uh, welcome back, Mike, if you hear this. Um, that's enough for me, but I wanted to let you know that we do have this interview with Blake Decker, as you probably read uh, before you clicked on it, um, but he is the Academy Director for St. Louis FC Academy, and um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I got to really ask all the questions I wanted to ask, and he d delivered on, on explanations. Uh, I'm especially impressed with all the things that St. Louis is doing to make sure they're staying with or ahead of the curve on, on a lot of different aspects of, of uh, running an academy in a city such as ours, So, and keeping up with everybody and perhaps surpassing them. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I didn't get 
as many specifics as perhaps I would like, but um, he said we could talk a little bit later and get a little more specifics next time. And so um, I look forward to that as well. Um, Yep, that's all I got. I hope you enjoy this interview with Blake Decker. All right, meeting with Blake Decker now. He is the, well, you're the head of the Academy system. What is your actual title? Uh, Academy Director. Academy Director. St. Louis FC. There you go. Um, And we're going to talk about it, uh, bringing us up to date on them being just St. Louis FC now um, on the main main part of the the Academy there. But I thought we'd start with some fun. We're missing a game right now, (laughs) World Cup game. So thank you for meeting me at this time. Um, But in the World Cup, have you been able to watch it a little bit in between? A bit, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, a bit. So we'll do some uh, quick fire question and answer. Ready? Ready. Okay, so what is your favorite team to watch? Favorite team to watch uh, would be Uruguay. Uruguay, very nice. Um, What is, who do you think is going to win the whole thing? Uh, I think Brazil has a good shot. Brazil, I agree. Who are your dark horses? Maybe two or three. Um, dark horses. Well, it's hard to say, but England, uh, mm. it's, it could be a dark horse based on their history, although they, they look <laughs> like they shouldn't be right now. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd have to go back to Uruguay. I'd like to see them uh, progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. What is it about Uruguay that you love? Uh, I'm uh, yeah, I'm a big big fan of uh, of Furlan, uh, so I got into him with them. Uh, but I just uh, feel like they have a very good uh, a very good mix of, of being able to play football, uh, mm-hmm. but they get after it um, and and how they defend and compete, um, and just uh, always impressed with uh, with a country of that size and. Uh, the types of players that they produce uh it's really impressive without a doubt good stuff okay well let's start about let's start talking about st louis fc and the academy um can you bring us up to date i know we talked about last time um st louis fc starting kind of the all-star of the the east and the west um can you bring us up to date on how that's been going and and yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been good. It's been a great year, um, and I think we we saw um, you know the fruits of that this this past uh, week, but also uh, throughout the course of the spring, as as we had you know two teams qualify for the postseason uh, for the academy, which is the first time uh, from a club perspective that that's that's happened in a single year. Um, and uh, our sixteens are actually still still in action. Uh, they leave uh, Friday. Uh, for San Diego, well, they'll be out there. The the Development Academy, um, which is the U.S. Soccer League, which the majority of our academy teams play in, has a gap at U16. Uh, as a club, we feel like uh, that's a, a really important age. It's a difficult jump for a lot of players to make because of the way boys mature physically. Um, so we have that as a part of our pathway, full 10 months. Um, but because of the gap in the Development Academy, they, they play in a different league. Um, so they'll finish up. Um, so yeah, all, the uh, the more competitive environment uh, in terms of player development, um, we see the fruits of that. And then obviously the teams being more competitive, we also are, are seeing that. So so when you say the U16, there's a gap. So the Development Academy jumps from 15 to 17, I guess. Correct. Yeah. And so what league do you play in for them? For the uh, they, they play in the ECNL, okay. um, which is uh, it's structured very similar to the Academy uh, with regional conferences, uh, but uh, 
there's conferences in all uh, areas of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of a lot of clubs uh, are similar to us, uh, development academy clubs um, that will have a 16 pathway. So their top U16 cool. players that aren't in the 17s in the development academy league will will play in this in this same league as well. Um, so it's. Uh, well, it's not exactly the same. It is a fairly natural continuum for the players in between 15 and 17. Mm-hmm. And they play a St. Louis FC? Correct. Cool. Yes. Very cool. Yep. Um, so this weekend's tournament, is that what was the playoffs, quote, playoffs for this past the past week? Yeah. 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 Cool. And I forgot the name of that tournament. It's just Academy Playoffs. Oh, okay. Yeah, Academy Playoffs. That's why it was... Not much creativity. No, I no, thought there no. was a name that I was missing out on, yeah. but there wasn't. No. <laughs> um, so tell me... Tell me about the weekend and, and how it went. There's a lot there. I, I was able to watch the NYCFC game because it was streamed. Correct. If there was another one streamed, I missed it. Um, but it was a it was a great game. It was so much fun to watch. I've never seen them play, honestly. And yeah. so I really think they surprised me and how good they were. And so um, we'll start opening just like how the weekend went and we'll go from there. Yeah, no. So, I mean, obviously uh, we're back here uh, mm-hmm. instead of still out there. Uh, so the, the weekend could have gone better. Yeah. Uh, the, the quarterfinals are, are starting up today and uh, for the 19s and then we'll finish tomorrow for the 17s. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, you know, one of the reasons why um, we we believe it's important that the teams are um, progressing and, and qualifying for these events is um, there's a developmental component to it uh, to compete in uh, in that type of environment with that type of pressure against that type of quality. Um, so it was it was important that we were there. Um, looking back on it, um, you know, for some of these guys, um, it was uh, their their first. Uh, time in that type of environment and probably quite a while uh, and so if we look back on the uh, NYFC game especially the first half uh, the moment in some cases was too big for guys mm. um, and we saw a team that is typically um, very energetic very aggressive uh, be a bit uh, lethargic and a, and a bit uh, passive um, and so while we got out of the first half 2-1, uh, we really felt like the performance was not that of the team. Mm. Um, and so it improved It improved in the second half, uh, but we were already digging ourselves out of a hole. Uh, and it's an extremely quality group. Um, Claudio Reina's son yeah. is in that group. and uh, Sands Brothers. And the Sands Brothers, yeah. yeah. So uh, a lot of guys that are already training with their first team on a regular basis, I think yeah. eight of them. Uh, and so, um, yeah, when you're when you're fighting from behind at that point, uh, it's always going to be difficult. And so we were actually uh, more pleased with the second half performance. Uh, but uh, at the end of it, the result was 4-1. Uh, but we feel like it was the, the first half that did it to us more than, than the second half. So coming out of that game, we felt uh, that we... Um, that their minds were right and that they were ready to, to step into the event the way we, we had hoped that they would start at the event. Yeah, it's almost unfortunate that they played a team that who we're seeing now is probably the best team in the group and maybe mm-hmm. uh, one of the better teams in the whole tournament because they're, they're continuing on with that success. It stinks that they played them first. Yeah. Because things improved from that point on. You guys won every other game in the group, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it, coming out of that, and, and actually the FC Dallas we was seated second uh, and were the, the group favorites going into it. Um, you know, hadn't uh, hadn't played in a game where they hadn't scored a goal all year. Oh, wow. um, so it was a tough mountain to climb. In some ways, uh, 
in some ways that expectation probably makes it easier um, because there's there's nothing to lose hmm. uh, and we went uh, we went into the game with uh, with that approach um, and, and learned some things from the first games I think the guys did about themselves and what it takes to compete at that uh, at that level um, and put on a, a amazing performance um, from a uh, from a tactical perspective really really disciplined um, and we're able to uh, to score two goals on them and keep them zero, uh, mm-hmm. which was the first time that that had happened to them all year, and and really shocked them a little bit. You could you yeah. could see that even um, even early in the game, um, you know, there wasn't uh, there there was a, a a lack of sense of urgency because I think that uh, they felt like it was going to be a game they would win. Um, and then when we were able to score first, you could see that uh, it rattled them a little bit. Nice. Um, and opened up an opportunity to get a second, and then the guys you know, really did a, a good job to uh, to finish out the game. How would you describe uh, the way that this team plays? Maybe tactically, but maybe you know just in general. How they play? Yeah, so I think uh, it's uh, it's a similar to the f- to the first team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they we have two very good center forwards. Uh, obviously, we have two good defenders uh, in yeah. the back as well. That that uh, fans of the first team will know, um, and Jack and Aiden. Uh, Aiden actually wasn't with us at the event uh, because of his uh, his role with the first team, which is fantastic. That's that's why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the group is solid in those areas, um, and I think in, in particularly in transition, uh, very very dangerous in attacking transition, uh, and very very difficult to to break down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that, and that was part of the what was so disappointing about the first game is. Uh, you know, we, we we probably didn't concede four goals uh, in our in our last five games. Oh, yeah. um, you know, and then to concede four goals in one game uh, was really uh, an aberration for this group yeah. uh, because typically they're so difficult to break down and dangerous in transition. That's really cool. I like that you guys keep it kind of similar all the way up. That probably wasn't the case last year because the Precky system is a little hard to implement in, a, in an academy. But yeah, correct, and not just Precky. I mean, look, sure. just this uh, last year you had two different teams. Um, you know, and, oh, and part right. of the reason why we wanted to to merge the groups is that it can be more streamlined and it's much easier to to replicate that when you're dealing with one u19 team versus two nine two u19 teams two different locations two different coaches yeah um so Makes a lot um, of sense. it was a goal of ours um uh, part of the reason why we merged and uh and felt like uh we were able to take steps in that direction this year yeah i think it shows like i said i was really impressed with the level of play where the gap between 19s and usl while i'm sure it's huge it wasn't quite as big as i thought it was um one thing I did notice too is um, are all academies kind of implementing more of a high press as of late? Is that kind of a, a thing, or has that always been? Uh, I noticed that Vlastos got that first that goal against NYCFC, doing a good job pressing, working his butt off. Is that? Yeah, I would say the majority of teams uh, that that we come up against will will implement a high press. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there's other teams um, that will sit more of a middle block. Um, very few play deep. Um, and try to try to counter from there but a middle to high press is pretty much the norm of of what we'll see Mm -hmm. Um, you know people talk about I've been meaning to ask you this anyway people talk a lot about whether winning is is all important on this level or whether um, you know just getting the right style of play and the skills for them to move on is more important is it really important for you to say you know build out of the back and have them adapt at that even if they have to lose some games or are there other examples of other things that you feel like you have to teach 
over them winning every single game? Yeah, so uh, it's a good question. Um, I don't think – I think sometimes it's framed in, in the – in kind of a diametrically opposed context of you're either yeah. winning or you're developing. Um, and we don't necessarily view it that way. It's it's more of a continuum. Um, and th- where your balance is focused is dependent upon the age group. So certainly at the younger age groups, um, you know, particularly 12, 13, 14, uh, it's going to be skewed much heavier towards the style of play and, and developing players in the way that you're that you're trying to play. Uh, at 15, 16, 17, that is then you know balanced with um, playing to compete, um, not necessarily t- to win, but what are the individual habits required to compete? And part of those are being able to read situations and make decisions based on that, um, based on the game situation, the score line, home, away, whatever the case may be. Uh, but still, the focus is not necessarily on the result. It's it's on the process of competing while simultaneously still developing players within how you want to play. Um, and then certainly at 19, it shifts more towards uh, the idea of, of winning. Um, and, and winning is a part of learning how to develop as well. I mean, so a, a, player, uh, a player can be technically and tactically fine to make the step to the, to the first team, but if they don't have the ability to compete and know how to win games, which is why a first team coach puts you on the field Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the same thing whether they go the college route that's why they're going to put you on the field um, then then there's a gap in their development Um, and so it's not uh, it's it's not so much a science as it is an art and and knowing how to how to meld those two together um, but both both are important um, and in fact they're they're probably one and the same in some aspects is because it is a part of their developmental process I think it's very well said. Um, not to mention, you know, getting to that next level helps everybody because what there are millions of scouts there this week watching these guys play, right? Correct. So that's yeah. that's nothing but good. Um, another thing you mentioned about improving on last year was uh, scouting department. How you mm-hmm. guys were starting to do tape for for the academy side as well as the the senior side. How's that going for you? Yeah, it's going well. Um, so we're we're at a point now where. Um, you know, within the within the next six to twelve months, um, potentially as early as the fall, we'll start to include uh, players um, from outside the area in a billet family program mm-hmm. um, to help supplement the talent. Uh, we, uh, as a club, we want to be based in in our region, um, so we don't we want to be talent developers, not talent importers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, there's. All clubs will have different philosophies on this, um, so we want to be based with players primarily from our region, but we want to be able to supplement that to the tune of maybe two to three per age group um, that are from uh, the region and are in areas where potentially development academy opportunities don't exist uh, because there's still huge parts of the country where there's good players, but they just don't have those opportunities. Uh, and we, as a, as a part of our mission uh, and a part of our goal as a club, we want to try to help uh, improve the community. And part of that for us is giving those opportunities to guys that don't have them purely because of where they were born at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the scouting piece has been a huge, huge part of that and identifying those players. Um, and then locally within the market, um, we'll, we'll see some additions, particularly at 13 and 14 um, into our younger academy teams that are a direct result of that scouting effort, and um, yeah, we have plans to expand that as we as we move into next year. It's a it's a huge piece 
um, that I think nationally we can improve on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, of course, you need to have good coaches, and of course, you need to have a good club structure. Um, but if you don't have the best players, um, then you're only going to be operating at a, at a certain percentage of your capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spend so much time on the other things, um, and we just hope that the, the players will come. Um, and in large part, we can have some success with that because of the club and the history. Yeah. Uh, but you're not going to you're not going to find every uh, potential professional player in that in that way. No, without a doubt, people talk about kind of the same thing on the national system. Like, it's we're such a big country, and that's not always a strength that can be a weakness. Yeah, absolutely, it's people yeah. slipping through the cracks. Speaking of that, um, I know. I mean. I feel like I should have warned you about this question, but we also have, you know, a, a Latino community community around here. We have a, a Bosnian community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just read the other day about a second Bosnian that, um, was born in Missouri and obviously that's going to be St. Louis and, uh, went on to play in Bundesliga. And I think one of the two had played for Scott Gallagher, but I'm not sure about the most recent one. I'm blanking on his name. Is that something that you're thinking you've thought about spending time on is, is getting into those communities with a scout or two, or even finding a, a Bosnian soccer scout or even a Latino um, soccer scout to try to find some of these young kids at a young age and get them in? Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, a couple things there. One is um, there's work that's already being done from a relationship side uh, in those areas. So um, we work with a group um, as a, a part of our affiliates out uh, in Fairmont City, uh, which is out by Collinsville, but is a largely Latino community. Mm-hmm. It's not a club. It's, uh, it's just a youth program. Um, for the for the kids of that city, and we have we have one player uh, currently in our 15s cool. um, that we identified through work with that organization, um, and we continue to to support them with uh, uh, training. Usually two times a month, we'll we'll go out there. They play uh, within our affiliate program, so we get them games, which is a challenge for them yeah. um, because they're they're not a club, uh, but they train the kids two times a week, and they just need an outlet for games. So we help yeah. them with that. Um, we had the um, we had the, a group from the Bosnian national team that was actually out here today um, that go around to different communities in the U.S. Um, to identify Bosnian players. Wow. Um, so we've, we have worked with them and continue to work with them in the past. Um, um, and so that's an, an area to get into uh, to try and open up to that community. Um, but you asked an important question uh, about you know, staff and scouting and that type of thing. Uh, and it's something that we're actively looking to, to do. Um, we will be, uh, for lack of a better term, diversifying the staff uh, as we look uh, into next year. Um, and it's not something that I can announce here, I'm sorry, but we, we have hired a, a U19 coach uh, and uh, a director of coaching um, that we feel like will uh, will assist in that process. Um, and look, it's, uh, the, game is, the game is global. Um, the game is diverse. Um, and so in terms of uh, our staff and our outreach, we feel like uh, that's an area where we can improve and, and are actively taking steps. And I think you'll see some progress as we look at going the next year. I love that I uh, couldn't blindside you with that because you already got stuff going. That's good. <laughs> um, what role does Poulos play, Anthony Poulos play in, in, in helping you guys with the academy? Yeah. Um, so we meet, uh, myself, uh, Jeremy, and Anthony meet um, every two weeks. Um, and uh, obviously, he's a part of our technical board as well, um, which is uh, you know a group of individuals within the club that are discussing kind of the, the high level objective strategy uh, for for not just the academy but for the club. 
but when we meet uh, when we meet two times a month, it's it's mainly to talk about individual players, uh, how they're doing, uh, guys that are in the environment currently, uh, guys that uh, maybe are next ups. Uh, obviously, with uh, with some of the guys uh, that have been in with the first team the past two years, now getting to the age where potentially they're moving on mm-hmm. uh, to go into the collegiate game. Um, uh, a big part of the last six months has been who's next, uh, yeah. and so we've we've worked to identify those guys. Um, obviously, we bring some ideas, uh, but the first team uh, typically has somebody at all of our U19 and U17 games. Could be Max, could be Tim, uh, might be Anthony, in a, in a few cases, um, to kind of watch the players and see what's out there, um, and then we have those conversations. Uh, so a lot of it is right now around the integration piece of how do we bridge the connection between the 17s 19s and first team um and that's and that's partly because of uh yeah just uh the transition that we're in and um and we want to that bridge has existed obviously we have players in the first team uh but a big part of what we're trying to do this year is how do we how do we make the bridge wider um, and how do we make it more accessible to the guys uh, that, that need to be in that environment because mm-hmm. they can help the first team achieve their objectives. Indeed, yeah. I mean, I would say that's a strength that, that St. Louis has over most USL teams is not only do we have academy and we built out of the academy per se, um, it's been around so long and you guys are on top of, of your game and, um, for many reasons that we've already talked about here. So uh, that's really cool. And I really love that story about um, it's cool that you guys are open to what they say and they're open to what you say because what Mateo Kidd was maybe a slightly overlooked until Precky found him. and mm-hmm. um, Not that he wasn't available, but uh, Manny fit that system perfectly, didn't he, his style right. of play. Yep. So we saw that work out. Yeah, and there's look. There's no uh, nobody in our in our perspective. Nobody owns the truth, mm-hmm. um, and so having different eyes on it uh, ensures that we have the best possible chance of getting it right. Uh, and you're you know, when you're talking about talent development uh, and and projecting potential, it, you're never going to be a hundred percent. But the more eyes uh, and the more conversations you have, uh, you limit uh, the opportunity that you miss a guy. Uh, or that you get it wrong and so it's a it's a collaborative effort that's great um so you brought it up and this is one of the things i was most excited to talk about was uh aiden and jack are both going to college um in the fall here and and the usl season won't be over Mm -hmm. and so um can you tell me about maybe some players that are up and coming they're next up or maybe even are already training with the team yeah, so we have, uh, there's a, a, a U17 um, who's already been in with the team, I believe, on two or three occasions nice. um, that, uh, that also plays as a left back, uh, but can play as a left midfielder as well. Um, so we're, we're really excited about him. Um, similar age to, to Aiden when he first came in, so he just finished his, his sophomore year uh, of high school. Um, so excited about him coming in. Uh, and then, uh, you know, from a, from a goalkeeping perspective, uh, we'll also have uh, a goalkeeper that will come in as, as Seth kind of moves on uh, mm-hmm. at the end of this season. He's been the third uh, throughout. He'll move on to, uh, to SLU. Um, but we have another young guy that we, that we are, are uh, really high on. Uh, I think he has good, good long-term potential. Me too, because um, he yeah. kept you guys in that game a little more than you could have been against NYCFC. He yeah. had some great saves. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. So, so we, uh, I assuming it's him. Sorry. Was it the guy that started for U19? No. So oh, okay. he's, he's currently, currently a 17. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So he played with the 19s, uh, against when we played LA galaxy in, uh, in December at the, uh, winter showcase. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
Um, but you know, we uh, from a goalkeeping perspective, uh, we're we're fortunate. We have a great goalkeeper coach in, yeah. the, in the youth academy, um, and that we we are continually produced goalkeepers. Um, feel like we'll be able to for a number of years uh and have a number of guys playing in in various professional leagues right now um so but but this is another one cut from the same cloth um so we're excited about that and then there's another group of about three or four that um we're gonna introduce into the environment and then just kind of see how they do um you know these two guys we're we're, we feel really good about uh the other guys we we don't want to get ahead of ourselves um because if you do, then you can actually set players back where they're not ready now. And if you would have just waited or been a little bit more strategic in your how you integrate them, they would be good in two or three months mm-hmm. um, versus you jump out ahead of yourself. And now it takes six months to kind of unwind and build back up what you, what you broke. Um, so there's a, a handful of guys that we'll have in and we'll just kind of assess and see how they do and get some feedback from the first team staff. That's good. Yeah, and it's good to hear. I think I – think I've been meaning to ask this before now because I was curious once these guys left if there was going to be a gap because we haven't heard these these guys' names or anything like that, but they are there. And that was part of the question too is it, that you are starting them at that young of an age because obviously Aiden, who's pretty much there now, I mean he's mm-hmm. doing great, um, was not there two years ago. And right. even last year was a little rough, but this year has been crazy, like surprisingly good, honestly. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a big deal. Do you know – can you accredit that to anything specifically with Aiden doing being such a success? Is it partly in the national team? Is it so, everything? Yeah, so no, for no doubt. I mean, it's uh, all of these experiences add up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think Aiden was uh, as well equipped as probably anybody would be. And, and I referenced it when we talked about um, the importance of the playoffs and playing and competing in that mm-hmm. environment and that type of pressure. Uh, obviously, uh, opportunities with the national team create the same type of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's something completely different when you're a 16-year-old and you're having to try and take time away from grown men. Yeah. That's a different type of pressure. But all of those experiences add up over time. Um, and so I think he was really well-equipped uh, to deal with not just coming in and, and that pressure, but also with setbacks that will, will naturally occur and being able to work his way through it. And I think you referenced it. It wasn't uh, a jump straight in and then everything was, was great. There were ups and downs and good times and, and bad times and setbacks. Um, but it was, uh, it was a part of the, the process that he was ready at that age to at least start, the, start it. Um, and then he had to work his way through it. Um, and I think it's not a, it's not a surprise that he's doing great this year, um, because he's had these experiences over the past two years that have, that have allowed him to continue his development to where he's at a point now where, you know, I think it's, um, you can see that he's, he's able to compete, um, with, uh, with anybody, uh, within, within the team for, for time. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's, that's different about our setup. You know, I mean, I think if you look at, uh, an MLS two team in the USL, um, the pathway into those teams and into playing time is the doorway is, is much wider um, because of the situation and where the team sits within their club structure. Mm-hmm. For us, uh, the door is smaller um, and the guys really have to be good enough. It can't just be token time right. and just let's hope that this guy pans out. No, he's, he has to he has to be able to compete. Yeah. And so while it's a little bit more narrow to get in, we feel like 
it's uh, the doorway out is going to be a lot wider uh, yeah. because of that. Um, and I think Aiden's a good example of that. Is it is it worthwhile in that regard? I know we lost the U23s recently. Um, is it is the is it between U19 and USL? Is it worth it to to have that around? You know, to get maybe physicality or other things that going up against grown men, or is it really not that big of a jump? You know, to go from 19 to USL. I think uh, I think it all has to do with with the time that you have. Um, you know, so for a player like Aiden, uh, who had three years in the in the first team environment, mm-hmm. two and a half years, then maybe it's not so important that you have that that step. Uh, but for a guy like Jack, yeah. who had less time, uh, for him to get the minutes that he got in the in the PDL the season before um, as a way to you know, prime the pump, fertilize, however you want to put it, to kind of uh, speed up that process. I think there there is value in it. Um, so uh, it just uh, it just depends on the individual player, their age, and where they're at in that in that process. Yeah. Um, certainly, if there's if they have the opportunity to play against grown men at the age of 15 or 16, I think it's a I think it's a good thing. Yep. Um, but as a club, you also have to weigh that against. Uh, against what it costs you and where you can invest that money in the player in the same player in a different way and then figure out what what makes the most sense to get uh the player prepared yeah is that something you you guys are considering bringing back maybe yeah no it's something it's uh we we, it's we're on hiatus so it's not uh it's not as though we said no we're done with it Um, but we're also looking at other ways in terms of um you know training programs that we can do with college guys coming back and first team reserves and, and yeah. some creative ways that we can potentially achieve the same end um, without some of the additional things that come with the PDL, which include, you know, bus rides to Canada and, and everything else, um, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, are, are, are also, if you can have more training days and more game days in your own backyard, it's not just the inconvenience of going to Canada, but there's a time, it's a short window. Mm-hmm. How do you use that time as effectively as possible? I think I just listened to an interview with someone in the NPSL, and that's what he—that's all he could talk about was a short window. You have no time, you know. Mm-hmm. You yeah. only have limited time to get these guys ready, and it could be a waste in that way. I could see that happening. But um, last, last kind of topic here is, um, you know, more and more the pro path is becoming a possibility for players in the United States, especially with um, all the USL possibilities. Even PDL has helped a little bit. Um, so now the kids kind of have, you know, they could go to college to MLS um, as an option. They could go straight to USL, which we're seeing with someone like Kuzain, um, bypassed going to Akron and just stayed with Sporting Kansas City after he moved out of St. Louis from uh, Scott Gallagher. Um, they could also go abroad. Josh mm-hmm. Sargent was able and, and lucky enough, you could say, and yep. um, not all luck, but you know what I mean, um, to go straight abroad. So um, can you talk about those possibilities? How do you counsel your players in those options when they're looking at, at what they can do? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's something that we, uh, we do a lot of, um, and it's part of um, – how we view our club, uh, and and one of the benefits that we have is is that we we have the ability to to provide an individual pathway to players, right? Um, and when I say that, I mean you, the exact examples that you that you brought up. There will be uh, another draft sergeant that comes through yeah. our academy, um, and it's okay with us 
um, that he potentially never plays for our first team. Uh, we'd love him to. Uh, had residency uh, been uh, canceled uh, before the last cycle, we feel like he probably would have. With USL? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. At that age, I think so. I think. Boy, absolutely. I would love to see that. So, so the next one that comes along, we we <laughs> we feel like yeah, he maybe will play for our first team. Yeah. Um, but but not as a not as the end point, right? It's a jumping off point. Yeah. Um, and and I I would say that within the next uh, within the next two to four years, we'll we'll have a player uh, that elects to move from the academy. Uh, into into the first team, mm-hmm. um, and we're already looking at um, starting the process of okay, what would what would that look like for a player? How do you build in um, uh, college uh, into a contract? Uh, is it is it two years? Is it four years? What's mm. the guarantee? What are the options? So that that will happen into uh, a pro contract. Yeah. So yeah. where the the team kind of covers college for them either during or after? Does, uh, does that probably during. Okay. Uh, yeah, it would be it would be during. Oh, wow. um, so that at, at the very least, maybe they walk out with an associate's degree, depending on the, the length of the contract. Yeah. And so we're looking at, at some different things that way. Um, so I think within two to four years, you'll you'll see that happen. Wow. Um, and and then just knowing uh, knowing the 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 U.S. and the culture, you're still going to have guys that for them. Um, even though with second division status, even though wages are going up with the league, yeah. they'll look at it and, and turning down an opportunity to go to IU or Duke is still not going to be something that they're they're willing to do, mm-hmm. um, and and that's not a problem for sure. us either. Um, so because from an individual perspective, that's that's their pathway, and maybe it's two years there and then try to get into the league, or maybe it's four years and then try to play pro. I think um, you can go one year and keep your scholarship, right? Depends. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it depends on the it depends on the school. It depends on the yeah. the arrangement. Um, but what you're seeing is those windows, uh, in a lot of cases, are starting to get shorter and shorter. Gotcha. Because the as the pathways open up, like you referenced, where it's going to become more prevalent where players do elect to go straight into mm-hmm. the professional game. Um, now colleges are having to find ways to uh, um, secure those players uh, yeah. and be more aggressive in terms of how they're doing at just even if they get them for one or two years um, because there's going to be fewer players available to them mm-hmm. the more that decide to go uh, straight from a youth pathway into a pro pathway. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is good for the player and yeah. our, our in our perspective, right, it gives the player potentially more options then to say, okay, uh, I can I can do this and I can get uh, you know two years paid for uh, and go straight into a professional environment, or I can go to a really good school for a year, uh, know that I have a, a degree uh, when I'm done, and then I can go pursue something, mm-hmm. and then they make the choice that's that's best for them, uh, their family, their situation. Yeah. That's definitely good. Um, one thing I was curious about was um, USL has a much more free contract than MLS, correct? So, like, let's say um, the next up-and-coming kid, if he chooses not to go to college, he signs with St. Louis FC. He could then sign the following year or the following year after that with anyone in the world, correct? Correct. Whereas MLS, it'd be a lot harder to do that with homegrown rights and things like that. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the league owns all the contracts and, and everything yeah. else, so there's some... Uh, look, I'm sure there's some benefits to it. Uh, I don't know that it's to the player, uh, but I'm yeah. sure that there's some benefits. Uh, and that's exactly from our perspective is we we know that we're going to have lots of different types of players that come through. We may have guys that come through and 
and St. Louis FC is their starting point, and they jump off into a much bigger career, uh, hopefully, you know, somewhere like Josh Sargent. Um, we know that there's guys that, that in the future will come in, and, and they may play the majority of their career here at St. Louis FC. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also know that there's, uh, there's guys that may not, may go the college route, may go somewhere else, and then may come back and, and finish their career like a, a Seth Rudolph, mm -hmm. you know, who went four years of college, went over to Sweden, played there for a while, and then came back to finish his career at, uh, at the club where he grew up. Um, and the way contracts and the way the, the league is set up and the way our club is set up is that we can, we can accommodate all of those players uh, and kind of what their individual path is at different points in their career, whether they're a youth or they're ending in the near of their professional career. Perfect. I think I got in what I wanted to ask you, and I just realized you need to go. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say before we do go? No, no. Good talking. Look yeah. forward to chatting with you again. I know. So get uh, get ready for the second season, and uh, yeah, maybe we can we can give some some of those updates that I was a little bit uh, ambiguous or elusive about. Maybe at that point in time, I can give you some more details. Some actual names. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, yeah. Blake Decker, for joining me, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Phil. Thanks again to Blake Decker. Uh, had a good time there. And like I said, uh, we're going to have some more time to talk some more in depth, uh, hopefully at the beginning of the Academy season next year, if not sooner. Um, yeah, I have more interviews coming up and I want you guys to know that I'm not going away. I'm not going to stay away. I'm going to be out of town for like 10 days uh, or more. I get to go on a cruise, which I've never done this kind of thing before. Uh, we're going to do a Baltic cruise and one of those stops is indeed St. Petersburg, Russia for a World Cup semifinal. I'm so, so excited. So um, excited to find out who's going to be playing. And uh, I'll be tweeting out as much as I can, taking tons of pictures and uh, perhaps doing a podcast there with my brothers-in-law who are going to be there uh, just talking about our experience. I think that'd be fun. And I um, hope you'd enjoy that too. But we're going to do it. And uh, when I get back, I'm also going to schedule an interview with Jeremy Allenbaugh, do a uh, halfway through the season check-in and there's a lot to talk about by then the international slot will have been um, possibly filled or it could have been filled by then because I think the uh, window opens around July 10th so um, interested to see how that's that's done and taken care of um, whether it's something big or something small I'm sure it'll help the team so I'll be interested to talk to him about that and I hope you guys will key in for it last thing I have to say is thanks to our sponsor Roughneck Scarves it's the official scarf supplier of MLS USL and US Soccer get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com thanks for everyone for listening we'll talk to you later